Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Only in theaters this Friday. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes Film.com to get tickets now. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Hello, welcome to another edition of Club Shay Shay. I am your host and also the proprietor of Club Shay Shay. And the guy that stopped by the club today to have a drink and some conversation is a boxer, rapper, actor. He's a four division champ in the middleweight, super middleweight, light heavyweight, and heavyweight division, Roy Jones Jr. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life, love. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. RJ, what's going on, bro? I'm good, my brother. How you feeling? Man, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. So let's get right. Let's let's start forward and then go backwards. You fought, you're just coming off of fighting uh, Mike Tyson on Saturday. What did you hope to accomplish by taking on this exhibition? I don't know how you exhibition fight, but what did you hope to accomplish by taking this fight? And did you get out of this what you thought you would? Uh, yeah, what I hoped to accomplish was I just wanted to give the fans something to look forward to, uh, giving them some form of entertainment at a really down time because the COVID has everybody in such a bad place, um, wearing a mask and no, I mean, you just can't appreciate people anymore. So the COVID has us in such a divided state that I feel like this fight or exhibition would help give people something to do, remind people of the old times, bring people back together, and also get some good entertainment out of it. Is this something that you would consider doing again? Not necessarily maybe fighting Mike, but would you consider fighting someone that fought in the super middleweight or fought in the light heavyweight division? Would this something that you would consider again? I probably wouldn't consider much because um, I don't think many things could supersede the numbers we did for that one. Right. And if you're not doing something that's going to supersede those numbers, then it's not really worth doing. However, there is a kid out there, well, not a kid, there's a guy out there by the name of Anderson Silva, who's a mixed martial artist, also a legend, who if you put two legends in the ring together, people do pay to see. So it's very possible that he and I could get together and do it, but everybody else, that like, people don't really care because... I mean, you got to have two sides. What made me and Mike so good was that you got two legends on right. opposite sides. If you got two legends on opposite sides, then it's great. But if you got a legend and a guy that maybe or wish he was or wants to be a legend, it's not necessarily <laughs> going to work so well. What you trying to say, RJ? What you trying to say? If you fuck anybody other than Mike Tyson, it's going to be the same. Unless it's Anderson Silver, but if they Anderson Silver because he's an MMA legend, it ain't going to be the same. But he ain't. Go, but he ain't got hands like Roy. 
That's what I'm saying. That's the point, though. But but because he's an MMA legend, they still will pay to see it. You feel me? Right. Because it's two legends. Right. These other kids ain't got hands like where he's been, but they're not really legends. So that's why people ain't really gonna pay to see that. So why am I gonna waste my time doing that to give them an opportunity to have another shot at me for no reason when it's not gonna pay me enough to where it's gonna be worth my while? So why do it? But you hear a lot of these other heavyweights calling out my Evander Holyfield, Buster Douglas. Is do you think this is something? If Mike were, I don't know how serious. Mike took this fight, but do you think if Mike were to train seriously, get serious, he and uh, and Holyfield or he and Buster Douglas could do this thing and it would be presentable? Yeah, it'd be presentable because Mike's still just as dangerous as he always was. Um, people want to see any time Mike get in the ring because they know how dangerous he is. So right. yeah, it'd be presentable. But the problem with that is, is that the other guys have more to gain than Mike does. Right. You know what I mean? Mike's already, Mike's already a legend. Everybody, if you, if you say, okay, we're going to let Holyfield fight Buster Douglas. I mean, for us, as boxing people, it's a good situation. But for the for the fans, they were like, okay, who cares? You know right. what I mean? So it's like you got to be very careful because it's got to be something that the fans want to see. Not right. trying to say that nobody is better than nobody else, but it's got to be something the fans want to see. You feel me? Right. I mean, yeah. both of those guys, they, they both beat Tyson in his head. You know, it's like I had a guy tell me the other day, well, Tarver say he want to fight you, and Hopkins say he want to fight you. I said, that's strange, because Tarver's last fight, he won with, against me. Hopkins last fight, he won against me. So why don't people want to see them fight each other? Why they want? Why they both get to call my name? You understand where I'm coming from? Right. What did that tell you? They, so, they try to get like, to come up because you're the guy. You hear, you hear me? So it's like, because you were the man of the day, they all want to use you as to come up when they, they don't realize, what are you getting from this? In our prime, y'all couldn't touch me. So it's like, what am I getting from giving y'all shots, at me, free shots at me? I'm gonna pay y'all. I got y'all me to pay y'all, um, give y'all as much as I get for for, for putting on a, a show against me when I'm the reason. You the attraction. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike said, "Are you surprised?" Mike said he was high during the fight. Do you think that was more because you know he didn't take the fight serious, or it had to do something with calming him down? Mike just trying to stay calm. He don't want to bite my ear because you know, I'm going to bite his ear back. Um, <laughs> so Mike just trying to be calm, do things the right way. That's right. Get this out, get this shit out of hand, biting and kicking and scratching because that can happen too. And he know both of us can go that route. So he's right. trying to stay calm, be political about it, get the people what they want to see, but leave it all on a positive note. And he did that. He left it all on a positive note. He thought about kicking me once, but he didn't do it. So I thought about kicking him back if he would have kicked me. But, you know, he thought about it because I could tell he was getting frustrated. But he didn't do it. <laughs> but because of smoking is probably why he didn't do it. You understand me? Because a ride would have broke out had he done it. So it's like, I thank God he held it together long enough for us to get that done. And it was all good. What was your approach in taking this fight? I mean, it seems like, okay, I'm going to hold. I'm going to try to get a couple of shots off. So going into this, what was Roy's strategy in this fight? Tie Mike up. Don't let him land out one single right uppercut. I don't care what the referee say. Keep that right arm tied up when you get close to him. Do not. Let him hit your mama child with no right up. You know what I'm saying? Hit you with everything else. Everything else, don't worry about it. Do not let Mike Tyson hit your mama's child with no right up. <laughs> Roy, you believe in your prime when Roy, when Roy Jones was at his apex, when nobody could see it. Do you believe you could beat Tyson in his prime? Ain't anybody else that put it in front of me. Hold on, Roy. I get it. Look, 
What you've done, only one other fighter has ever done. Bob Fitzsimmons. You talk about a middleweight that won a light heavyweight title, but he did it in reverse order. He, he was a, a middleweight that won the heavyweight and then won the light heavyweight. So what you've done, no other boxer, only Bob Fitzsimmons has ever done to move up a middleweight, super middle, light heavy, and win the heavyweight title. But Roy, in his prime, you thought you think you could have take could have taken Tyson? In my prime, the question would have been, can Tyson deal with me? Hold on, Roy. Look, Roy, look, you know, I'm a Roy, I love you. You, you were my you were my dog, Roy. You you were my dog, and you had hands, you had speed that was unbelievable. You was very unorthodox. A lot of people ain't throw no lead hooks. They ain't boxing in the stance that you were in. Tyson. You understand he was the most feared. He might have been the most feared man in the history of the boxing, in the boxing community. And Roy Jones at 168. What, so what weight do you think you need to be at in order to fight Tyson? When I asked for him, I meant what I asked for. I was 200 pounds. Right. And I wanted him right then when I was at the apex of my career because I still was reaching for things. Because you got to remember, I wanted, I'm the first guy and the only guy, Bob Fitzsimmons didn't do this. I'm the only guy guy to turn professional as a junior middleweight, which is 154 pounds, Correct. and capture the heavyweight title. But I think something to do, they turn professional middleweight. But right. with that being said, when I won the heavyweight title, I still was on the go because I had to come back and recapture the light heavyweight title, or I didn't do what Bob Fitzsimmons did. See, I right. did the opposite. I won the middleweight, super middleweight, which wasn't around when Bob Fitzsimmons was around. Correct. Light heavyweight. Then I won the heavyweight, but then I went back and recaptured the light heavyweight title because I felt like that's what Bob Fitzsimmons did. So that being said, when I won the heavyweight title, I still was on the up climb, trying to grab things because I wanted to do exactly what he did, but add something to it. So had I fought Mike Tyson in 2003, after I won the heavyweight title, I don't see no way in the world he would have beat me. You couldn't even hit me back then. My legs still were good. I hadn't lost the 25 pounds of muscle yet. My body hadn't started deteriorating on me yet. You couldn't touch me. You fought Ruiz. I think you weighed, what, 193, 195? Yep. And 193. 193. So do you think that was the beginning of what of Roy starting to not be Roy Jones because you went up to 195 and then you had to come back down and you started had to shedding that weight? And I had to cut the muscle. That's when it began. That's when the demise began. Because I cut muscle. I cut 25 pounds of muscle off. Not just regular weight, muscle. My body never did nothing, did, did nothing like that before. Ideally, all the money fights were probably at, what, 168? There was Tarver and, and Hopkins. There was really no money. There's really never been any money in the light heavyweight division, uh, unless you're talking about now. So you, basically, you had to go back down to get the paydays because the only heavyweight you wanted to fight was Tyson. Only heavyweight I wanted to fight was Mike Tyson. And, like I said, I was under the impression that Bob Fitzsimmons won the middleweight, light heavyweight, Correct. heavyweight, and recaptured right. the light heavyweight title. So right. if I won all that, I had to go back and recapture that light heavyweight title, or I didn't do what Bob Fitzsimmons did. Right. That's what my person wasn't all about. The, wasn't even about the big money fights. The big money fight was why I would have fought Mike Tyson. I said, I only hit with our fight is Mike Tyson. Why? Because it's a big money fight, and it'll require me to stay here longer. Meanwhile, if that don't happen, I got to go back and shed the weight and go reclaim the light heavyweight title, or I can't say I did what Bob Fitzsimmons did. On the undercard, Nate Robinson fought Jake Paul. What, what did you? What was Nate's mistake? And if you were advising him, if you were training Nate, how would you prepare him? Says, okay, if he wants a rematch, how would you prepare Nate to take that fight and to win? 
first of all, it's not a fight that Nate should even take because Nate is about 5'9", 5'10", 181 pounds, basically soaking wet. Jake Paul was a pull down 189 pounds. I mean, right. he may have came from 210 to 189. You understand me? So one right. guy knows how to pull weight and how to play the weight game. The other guy has no clue of it. So you're already smaller than him. Then he's a pull down. It's like people say, people say they looked at me and Mike and say, oh, y'all about the same size. No, we're not. You see Mike's head? Mike is capable of toting way more weight than I ever could think about toting. Right. Mike can carry way more weight than I ever could dream of carrying. You feel me? Mike said he lost 100 pounds. That means he was 320-something. <laughs> and he got a 220-something. Right. So he's a much bigger figure than I am. Same with Nate Paul, uh, with Jay Paul and Nate. Nate is way too small to be in a boxing ring with a pull down. Jay Paul, it just, it just didn't. When I saw him at the weigh-in, I said, oh, gosh. I told my wife, I said, this is not going to be pretty. She said, why? I said, he's too small. It just ain't fair. He's too small. You don't know what he's up, he up against, but he's too small. And plus, you have to look at it, though, uh, also, RJ, is that that 181, that's a bumped up 181. Nate probably walk, should that's be walking around at probably 170. That's my point. And he's finally got us a pull down 210 to 189. This is just, you just put yourself, you just took yourself out the game. So, in other words, besides fighting a man much too big for him, he didn't have the proper tools. See, explain to, to a to a layperson, Roy, explain the mistakes that Nate made inside the ring. Forget the fact that he shouldn't have been in there to begin with, but what were some of the mistakes that he made that caused him to get One knocked? Mistake is you don't get hit and get angry and take off running and rest of the guys just throwing punches because that guy's already set knowing that you're coming because you're angry and he's going to wait and time you, and that's kind of what happened. So right. he made a few boxing mistakes that because he's inexperienced in boxing that a, a normal boxer would make. But guy hits you and hurts you, yeah, you take A-cap, you don't run back in, you move around for a little while, get your head back together. Or Correct. you box smart and make him think you're okay when you know you're not, but you be smart and stay away from contact for a little while until you get all the way back together. Then you engage and get contact again. He engaged right away, and you can't do that. See, for me, Nate treated this like a street fight. Like you said, he tried to rush in. And maybe in a street fight, he can beat Jake because you can scoop him. But in a boxing match, you can only throw these things here. Mm -hmm. And so now he's rushing in no with his hands down. That's the first rule. Street fight, no matter the fight, keep your hands up. That's the last thing the, uh, the referee tell you. Keep your hands up, protect yourself at all times. Protect yourself at all times. Yep. Man. He didn't do that. He, got, he lost it. He kind of got, got emotional and just ran in there. Teddy Atlas was upset at the California Boxing Commission, said they should not even sanction this fight. Sanction this fight. Do you think if they did sanction it, do you think they should have had a headgear? Well, no, that would not have made a difference. No, it wouldn't. So you think Nate should just give this up? Let, let this boxing ain't his thing? No, no. Nate don't have to give it up. What you got to do is you got to get in the gym and get some real training, first of all. Okay. Second, you got to start fighting in your weight class because that's why they have weight classes. You right. must get into your own weight class. You can't be fighting guys 10 to 20 pounds heavy, uh, heavier than you, especially when they have also more experience than you. Can you imagine me fighting a guy that's 10 pounds lighter than me and don't have the experience to box? I right. Mean, that's just, it's just wrong. So it's like you fought a guy that was not only really more than 10 pounds heavier, on scale he was 10 pounds heavier than you, on the scale Mike was 10 pounds heavier than me. But if you look at it, I pushed my back to the corner like the coach told me to do. My people got like a feather just set me down in the same corner. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> you understand me? Because he, he's 10 pounds heavier than me on the scale, but he used to carry much more weight than I am. 
Right. So his 10 pounds is more like 30 pounds. Right. I know you remember this. You remember Tutal Jones, who the great defensive yes. lineman for the Dallas Cowboys, thought he could put this guy was 5'8. Yes. And this dude carried too tall Jones. And I tried to explain to people. Yeah. I say the mistake some great athletes make is that they think because they're great in one sport, they can just pick up and do another sport. It's not that simple, Roy. Not at all, brother. People don't understand. It's different muscle memory. It's different technique. It's different. Everything is different. I mean, we're all great athletes and we can do the other sport, but you can't compete at an elite level in every other sport like that. Right. Only one or two people could do that. You understand me? One or two. And that's far, far and few in between. One or two people, one or two people could really do that like that. But here's the thing, Roy. You've been fighting. How old were you started when you when your dad gave you gave you gloves and you how old were you? Eight, nine? Ten. You were 10 years of age. Okay, so from yep. 10, you're building up those reflexes. You're building up those instincts. You know how to pivot. You know how to turn. You know how to block punches. You know how to make punches miss. You know how to walk guys into punches. What makes somebody think they're in their mid-30s, they can just pick this up and say, oh, yeah, I can go do that? At a, at a, at a, at a competitive level, I understand hitting the mitts in the gym. Because they hang around people who don't <laughs> understand the everyday reality of boxing. Hang around people who think all you got to do is get in shape and learn how to punch and you can fight. That's not true. There's a lot more that goes into boxing than most people realize. And the problem with the Shannon, I mean, the problem with the brother is that there's a lot of people that actually box that don't understand boxing. So you right. know those people that, that don't have anything to do with boxing that are going to get confused. And see, the thing is, you watch somebody and they hitting the mitts and they throwing the mitts into your hands and they swear, they swear, oh boy, got hands. Oh boy, got hands like that. Yeah, but kill he. Him. Yeah, kill him. <laughs> See, you know who caught that's that's that Floyd Mayweather syndrome. They see Floyd and his yeah, uncle and his dad was on those mitts and he he ducking and he yeah. doing all that behind his back. And people like, oh, oh yeah, I can do that. No, you can't. And as easy as it looks. <laughs> so the fight game now, give me some of the fighters that you enjoy watching. I enjoy watching a lot of them, man. I, I love boxing and I enjoy watching anybody that goes out and takes it serious and works hard to prepare themselves to come to a point where they can fight. So you got Javante Davis, you know, you got, I like Lomachenko, Tiffany Lopez, um, my guys, Mike, Mike Williams, Kevin Newman, um, Chris Eubank Jr., I mean, Glenn, I got so many of my guys that I like to watch because I like to see them go out and do the things that I teach them to do. But heavyweight-wise, I love Tyson Fury always. Um, I even like watching Anthony, Anthony Joshua. Man, it's like uh, Canelo. Uh, Spence, um, Crawford, I mean, man, the list goes on. Any, anybody that's at the top, at that top echelon, I like to watch them box because I like to see the things that they do well, the things they need improvement on, and uh, I just like to analyze because it keeps you sharp. How does Deontay Wilder beat Tyson Fury? Because I look at it as because well, Tyson yeah, Fury is a, is a boxer, and what you call him is a puncher, and I don't know if he has the skill set because he's trying to set up one shot while Tyson Fury is boxing circles around him. Problem with that is that people don't understand that you cannot be one-dimensional and dominate for a long time. You have to have other dimensions to your game. What people didn't understand about Mike Tyson was that Mike Tyson is a puncher, but Mike Tyson also is a puncher who knows how to set you up for his punches. That's why I told you the referee can talk all he wants to. He's not hitting my mom child in the right up. I don't care what we get, what the baby is, what the time is. He is not hitting my mother's child with no right up cut. I don't care what the situation is. So, because my mama child knows that, 
My mother's child knows how to watch for all the traps, all the things he does to set you up for that right up. So he's not like Wilder. He's not just trying to hit you with one right hand. He got a lot of other stuff that he'll set you up and hit you with until he can sneak that right up cut on you. You understand me? So it's like you have to know how to set, how to play your game. It's like chess. You got to know how to lead people into where you want them to go so that you can, uh, uh, so you can ambush. And Tyson right. knows how to do that. Wilder don't really know how to do that that well. And you know what? You're saying something very interesting because when people look at Mike Tyson because he had that knock one punch, and most heavyweights have one punch knockout power, and they see the over the, that just decapitating people. But Mike is a very technical body, a, a boxer, because he he did something yeah. that I watched him, and I went back and watched some of his fights, how he banged you twice with that hook with, to the body and then throw the uppercut on the same hand. Yep. And I already know that if his hair is free, if I feel it right there, take off running. Don't even stay up. If he hit you right here, take off running. That's why I kept my hand locked up as much as I could. But if you feel that, take off running. Don't even look. So you feel it, go. Don't even think about nothing else. So, so well, whatever hand he hit you with, you take it out running the other way. You better believe it, because you know the upcut coming. So if he hit you with that right hook to the body, immediately go the other way, because the upcut is on the way. But like I said, he had various different ways of setting up his knockout punches. He didn't squat and just throw him and knock you out with him, knock you out with him. He set him up. Wilder don't really have a lot of setup. He just wait for you to make a mistake. One mistake. If you get you to make the right mistake, he can land it. If you don't yeah. make that mistake, he has a hard time landing it. And Fury right. knew how to not make that mistake because you got to remember, Fury also eluded the greatest one of all of them, which was uh, the Klitschko brother. He, I mean, of all the right-hand punches like that. Right. He eluded Klitschko's straight right hand. He took it away from him. And that's why Klitschko couldn't beat him. Then he went and did the same thing in Wilder. He took his right hand away from him. So he's a master at taking away the one punch if that's all you get. Right, because he goes, he keeps sticking that jab, and and Wilder didn't Wilder didn't have a counter. So in order in order to be elite, like you said, you can win the and heavyweight see, title, but to have sustainability, you got to have more than one punch. Got to have more than one 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 uh one 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 trick in your, in your Rolodex. You got to have a lot of you got to have more in your arsenal. And to me, Tyson Fury, that's why I told Tyson Fury about four or five years ago, if you go get yourself together, you can beat all of them because Tyson has a a, a bigger um repertoire than most of the heavyweights has. He has more skills than most of them got. He don't have the most power, but he got more skills than most of them have. And people that don't understand boxing won't understand that. I didn't realize how big he was, but that is a giant of a man. 6'9"? With that kind of reach? With That's that kind of... With, with, but, but, but like you said, he got skills. That's the other aspect, though. The height. Also, you got to remember, Wilder used to punch people straight out in front of him or punch him down on him. It's harder to punch up then there's a punch straight out or punch down. You got to right. punch up to hit Fury. That's what threw Klitschko off. That's what threw Wilder off. Let's talk about Floyd Mayweather because before your reign, before uh, after your reign, he kind of took the mantle. You were fighter of the decade. You did what you did, and then he came along. He started out, I think, as a, a, a lightweight and moved up to the, uh, the junior middleweight, 154, because I think he took De La Hoya's belt at 154. But he wiped out everything from 140, 147, 154, uh, 130, one, what, 136, I think, is the, is the weight class. 135. 135. One, 135? Okay, 135. Yeah, I think he started by 130, though. He might start at 130. I, 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 sure. I, I believe you're right. Yeah. Talk to me about Mayweather. What made him so great? He one of the best defensive fighters you've ever seen. And he's smart. He don't take no stupid risk. He goes out, he fights, and he fights to get the W. And he made the W become very relevant because he always fought to keep that W. So when he started 
fighting DPW made him become even more smarter. And now he used that because he was a very smart businessman. He used that W to make people want to see him lose that W. So he was able to be smart and pick and choose what he wanted to do because everybody wanted to see that W go away. And he knew that. So he played on it. But he's a very good fighter, very talented athlete, a very smart guy, and a very smart fighter. People said, well, he didn't have, well, he can't punch, he don't got power. And my response to them, I said, well, why don't people just run in on him? If he ain't got no power, ain't nobody trying to run in on him. That's not true. You saw he did to Ricky Haddon. He showed you he got power not in one hand. He got power in both hands. He just don't choose to fight that way. Right. He got Gotti. I mean, when you look at the people that he got out of there before, like you said before, the W became the end-all, be-all, if you look at what he did at 140 and 147 and 135, he was carrying the lightweight. He carried that lightweight division. He carried the 140 Arturo Gotti. The guys he put knock out, he took him out. So he did definitely have power in both hands. So people that say he can't punch, that's not true. Now he's a defensive fighter, didn't use a lot of punches and didn't throw a throw a lot of punches. Okay, I can understand what you're saying that, but to say he can't punch, you're wrong. He can punch in both hands. Defensive fighters, you like Mayweather or you like Sweet Pea? Because I don't think Sweet Pea gets the credit that he deserves for being his defense for being a defensive fighter. It's great. He was a great fighter, but his defense was impeccable also. The bad part about it is his defense was better than Floyd's, but Floyd's offensive power is better than Sweet Pea's. So Floyd, he's harder, but Sweet Pea has the best defense. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. This is 80. Give me your Mount Rushmore boxers. I, it doesn't have to be all heavyweights. It doesn't have to be middleweights, this and that. Give me your Mount Rushmore. You get four boxers, Roy. You get four. Four? I'm four. taking me out of it, okay? I'm going to say myself because okay. I'll, I'll be at the top of my Rushmore. So I'm going to take me out of it. Okay. put Muhammad Ali at the top. Okay. I'm going to put, uh, I'm going to probably put Shuey Ro Robinson second. Okay. I'm probably put Salvador Sanchez third. Okay. And I'm probably, probably going to stop there because after that, I can take Leonard, Duran, uh, Chavez. Hagler. Uh, I, I go any kind of way after that. But them top three, that's my top three. I can take any of them after that, but them my top three. What would you say is the golden era of boxing? The 70s. Why? And the 70s, really, I said it was a golden era of boxing because everybody in the heavyweight division, if they were still around, you probably take the top 10 uh, in the 70s and in, insert them, each one of them in today's time, and each one would be heavyweight champ right now today still because that's how doable, that's how rugged, that's how well gifted in boxing most of those guys was. Everybody in the top 10 back in that time was heavyweight champion quality or character type of fighter. So you're looking at Ali, Ken Norton, George Foreman, uh, Larry Holmes, Joe uh, Frazier. George, George uh, Frazier. I mean, pick what you want to pick. Pick what you, I mean, one of the greatest fighters of all time that people need to go look at. And I said two, I watch a few fights that I will watch over and over. Like I watch Hearns all the time. I watch uh, Linda Duran a lot. I watch uh, Hagler Hearns. I watch Hagler Leonard. But one of the best, some of the best fights, because that's some of them, but the list goes on and on. But to really get a good appreciation of boxing, appreciation of boxing, you always have to go back and watch George Foreman versus Ron Lyle. One of the best heavyweight fights ever. Then, one of the heavyweight fights that also touched me a lot as an older kid, as I was growing up in boxing, I became a Larry Holmes fan after watching Larry Holmes fight Ken Norton because I know how hard of a time Ken Norton gave Ali every time he seen him. Every time. 
for, for Larry Holmes to come, for Larry Holmes to come and deal with that same thing and overcome it was really exceptional to me and it made me become a Larry Holmes fan. Larry Holmes was shooting that jab. Larry Holmes didn't use that jab as a range fighter. He was using it to do there, some damage. There. <laughs> and that right uppercut. <laughs> so there, there's a lot of fighters. I mean, there's really no American fighters. And people ask, well, where are the American heavyweights? They're playing defensive end or they're playing basketball in the NBA. That's where they are. But you look at the lot of divisions. You look at Bud Crawford. You look at Errol Spence Jr. You got some young fighters. You want to see the Earl, you uh, obviously Spence fights Garcia, but do you want to see the Earl Spence Bud Crawford fight? I've been begging for the fight, begging for it. And the problem, like I said, I understand with the two promoters on, and how that goes, but it's like, you know, for me, man, it's like the difference was, and I don't, everybody's is entitled to run it the way they want to run it. They, I learned from Ali and the other old timers. The way you played the game was, you played King of the Hill. King of the Hill, I mean, you go to the top and you fight whatever come up the hill. You got to defend against anything that come up the hill because you are the king of the hill. When right. you get up to the hill and start saying, no, nah, I'm going to fight that one, I'm going to fight that one, that's really not king of the hill no more. But I understand. So different people did different things for different reasons. I didn't fight for money. I fought for greatness and for a legacy because I wanted to be king of the hill. You understand me? So right. I took it differently than some other people may take it. Other people fought for different business reasons. So they didn't do it the way I did it because they were looking for ways to maximize their cash budget. So everybody but everybody got the right to do it how they want to do it. So you can't get mad at them for doing the way they want to do it. When they time come, they're supposed to do it their way. My time though, I only knew from what the old times had taught me. And I thought I was supposed to play King of the Hill. That's what I did. And that's what the problem is now. They can sit there and have two guys that everybody thinks are the best in their division, but they can still play left side the right side, one stay over there, one stay over there. No, 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 that's not how that go. We need to see. They don't stop at the AFC Championship and NFC Championship. Okay. We <laughs> you got to get No, 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 no. We got a Super Bowl. We got to go to the Super Bowl and figure out which one of these champions is the best, right? Right. So do you do you believe they got too many belts now? No, it ain't about too many belts. You can have all that. You can have all that. You can have too many belts. It don't matter. Long as when the time come and they come a top guy over here and a top guy over here, they must come have a Super Bowl. We must see the Super Bowl. We can't just stay there with an AFC champ and NFC champ every year. That's too many champs. We got to bring all that to the middle at some point. But here's the thing, though, Roy. If I can, okay, yeah, I might can fight you and make $20 million. But if I can just stay over here and make ten million and fight people I know that I know I can beat, why would I risk it? That's what the problem is, box. That's, and, that, and that makes sense if you're in it for the money. But see me, I can't sleep at night knowing it's another team over there undefeated, and I ain't with him yet. <laughs> I, I, need, I can't. That's just why I'm going. I can't sleep like that. I need to go see. You understand me? If you that bad, I need to see. You got to show me you that bad. I can't sleep. I don't care about the money. I can't sleep knowing that there's an equal but opposite. After I gotta see him. I'm gonna ask you to construct the boxer and I'm gonna give you some characteristics and you tell me the boxer you wanna pull this from. Hand speed. Sugar Ray Leonard. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. 
Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Knockout power. Tommy Hurts. Athleticism. Roy Jones Jr. Quickness. Gary Russell Jr. Reflexes. Muhammad Ali. Size. Muhammad Ali. Boxing IQ. Louis Sanchez. Hmm. Defense. Wilfred Benitez. Discipline. Marvin Hagler. Accuracy in which he landed his punches. Who else sees the Chavez? Wow. Roy, you grew up in Pensacola, and I don't know if a whole lot of people know this, but there are a lot of great athletes that came out of Pensacola. Very good friend of yours and mine, Derek Brooks. Uh, Emmett Smith is from Pensacola. Uh, you went to school, if I'm not mistaken, with uh, an ex-teammate of mine, a friend of mine, Reggie Johnson. What is it about Pensacola? Yes, the water. <laughs> the water is there's something in the water, or y'all swimming in y'all swimming in the water. It's got to be something in the water. I mean, you got to think about it. You got arguably one of the greatest pound for pound boxes of all time. Yeah. You got NFL leading rusher. You got yep. one of the best linebackers of all time. You got this one of the fastest runners in the world, Justin Gatton. I mean. Yep. Come on, bro. Feed just everywhere. I mean, fast as hands, fast as feet. I mean, what I mean, what else could it be? <laughs> From the time your daddy gave you those gloves when you were 10 years old, is that the only thing that you ever wanted to be? Did you ever want to play? Say, I want to be an I want to be a football player. I want to be a basketball player. Well, I'm gonna tell you a story. I did play basketball and I did like basketball and I did want to be a basketball player as well, but boxing was my heart. And I'm gonna tell you why boxing was my heart. I played football first, right? Right. And I got to where I played quarterback. And when I played quarterback, we had three plays because we had a small team. We didn't have a lot of players. So we had three players, three plays, three real plays that were going to work. The rest of the plays, everybody wasn't going to really do it right, and people were afraid to really run the ball. Quarterback roll out left, quarterback roll out right, and quarterback sneak. And I was the quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, right? that's, that's, so, that's too much hitting on me. Happened, though, exactly. But what would happen, though, is guys would get a good lick on me, and then they had big enough teams that they didn't have to play both sides. Our team was so small, we had to play both sides. We had to right. play offense and defense. Right. So some of these guys would play offense, I mean, play defense, but they wouldn't play offense. So I would get pissed off because you play defense, you hit with a good lick. Well, my time to play defense, you over them side of the coach. I'm like, no, go put him back out. What are you doing? I want to get my get back. Behind me. I need that back. <laughs> you feel me? So I realized that, you know what, as you get older, 
you're not going to get your get back in football. So I need somebody to get my get back in right now. So boxing became very appealing to me. So you grow up through the, you, <laughs> you grow up through the ranks and you go to the 88 Olympics. And I remember it uh, uh, in Seoul. I was in college. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was a junior in college. And I remember it. I, it, it seems like yesterday. And you're doing your thing. You outland the guy in punches almost three to basically. Oh, it was us three to one. Outlanded three to one. And you're standing in the ring and you just know, you just know you won this fight. Like I'm about to be the gold medal. I'm about to be Sugar Ray Leonard. I'm about to be Muhammad Ali. I'm about to be all these greats. I'm going to be an American hero. And when you hear them call his name, what was the first thing that goes through your mind? I was sick. I said, this may not be the sport for me because anytime you can run a race and finish first, and you still get second, something wrong with that sport. You know what I'm saying? So I immediately was like, you know what? Maybe boxing ain't for me. Did you have a conversation with the with the guy that you you beat that ended up because it wasn't it wasn't Korea. He was Korean. Did you have a conversation? I told Trevor, I said, ma'am, do me one favor. She said, Yeah, I said, ask him, does he think he won? And she didn't know it. But if he would have said, yeah, I was going to get on that head again, right? But she asked him, he said, no, I know I didn't win. <laughs> he asked him, he said, no, I know I didn't win. <laughs> and he shook my hand. So after that, I, I couldn't do that. Because I really was ready to get on his head. But when he said, no, what was I to do? It ain't his fault. He didn't judge the fight. And now he tell me he know he didn't win. I can't get mad at the man because he told the truth. But had he not told the truth, there was going to be some teeth missing. <laughs> so you filed a protest in the, in the pro- <clears throat> with the protest did you think like you know what they're going to go back and look at these scorecards they're going to look at all these points I accumulated they're going to look at what he didn't do oh they're going to they gonna make this right they'll make it right and I'm going to be okay even though I didn't get my arm raised in the ring at the time I'm still going to be able to hear the anthem play and I'm still going to be a champ like Sugar Ray Ali, Frazier and some Mark Breland some of the other greats no I never thought that uh, once they announced the decision that was it it was done for me. So after that, I went and uh, I think the United States Olympic Committee filed a petition, but I never did anything because I took it as what it was and that was there. And I felt like, first I felt like it was miserable for me. Uh, I should quit boxing and just let it go. But uh, then when I got home, I realized that it could have been a blessing in disguise because right. what was funny was that when I got to the airport, nobody was looking for the guys that won the gold medal. They were looking for the guys that got cheated and got the silver medal. And that blew my mind. So it showed me right away how quickly God can take your worst nightmare and turn it to the biggest blessing of all time for you. Because in my worst time, when I thought I was at the lowest point of my life, I was sacrificed nine years and got robbed of a gold medal. And I thought that was it for me. I was more famous than anybody else on that Olympic team, even the guys that won the gold medal. And that was God showing me that you stick with God, keep faith in God, he can take the worst and turn to the best for you. Roy, you won the, you won the, uh, uh, the golden glove in 1986 at 180, at 138 pounds. And then the next year you win at 156. How you put on 18 pounds of muscle in a year? Well, I won at 139. But when I won at 139, I probably should have been fighting 147 because I was coming from 152 to make 139. Okay. So, so <laughs> when I finally move up, and on since I'm at 147, I'm already coming from 156 making 139. 
So I'm going to go and fight at 156. Don't stop at 147. I'm going to have the same problem I got at 139. I got to lose six less pounds, but it's the same thing. Uh, nine less pounds, whatever, wouldn't see. Uh, it was, what is it now? Eight less pounds. I'm going right. to lose eight less pounds, but I still got to lose almost 20 pounds. So why not right. just go on out with 156? So I went all the way back at 156. So that was so that was your natural. So at that point in time, you just basically walking around. You just training. They ain't got to drop no weight. Got to cut no water. Got to do nothing. No, that ain't true. I still had to cut weight to make that. <laughs> so what? What would you say at that point in time? What would you say your walking around weight was? One sixty eight, one seventy. One probably one sixty eight, one seventy. Yes. So when you fought at one sixty eight at super middleweight, what were you walking around then? One ninety, one eighty five, one eighty. One seventy, one eighty. My daddy made me go down to 147 for the Eastern Olympic Trials in 88, right? Right. I fought the first night. I made 147 and fought the first night. I went after the fight, after the fight, and got on scale. Guess what I weighed? One, one, 157. 165. What? You rehydrated? Yes, I got all the way back. And I got all the way back down to 140 and a half that next morning. Wow. So you like, you know what? I ain't finna be cutting. I'm not finna be cutting 25, 30 pounds. <laughs> it ain't gonna work because I'm gonna do this every night. I said, I won't have no energy to fight in the Olympics with. So I can't do this. This is too, I can't make it. Because if you went from 147 to 165 after you fought, that means I was, 140, I was 168 when I fought. Right. So you had basically, you, you rehydrated and put on 20 pounds. Of course. Wow. What was it like sparring with Sugar Ray? Man, that was one of the greatest times of my life, one of the greatest adventures of my life. And um, it was like, you know, you coming up fighting against your idol or you sparring with your idol and you want to see what he got, but you want to see what you got too. So I was doing pretty good. And um, he got, he got, uh, he got tired of me kind of doing my fast work. And he set me up and then a good hook, bam. I said, okay, that's a good shot. But that's all he was able to set me up with. The rest of the time, I I was pretty much in control. So I was I was happy because I felt like through it all, he was able to set me up with one good shot. The rest of the time I was in the better shot. So I felt really good about myself. So at and that moment, did you know me, did you know say, you know what? Me. Hold on. I'm sparring with Sugar Ray. I'm getting my licks in. I'm getting my I'm getting my shots off. He caught me with one, but I feel I'm getting the better of this. Is that when you knew you was gonna be a world champ? No, I knew it already before that, but at that point it's kind of that kind of solidified it. Your boxing career, what would you have done differently? I thought I would have done different with my boxing career is after I won the heavyweight title, I would have came down when I beat Tar the first time. I would have stopped for at least a year or two to let my body recuperate and get myself right. back together because right. that was the only mistake I made by not staying out of boxing because I was always the guy that my own self came back to hunt me because if you want to fight, I'm going to fight. That's just who I always was. I don't duck and dodge nothing. You know, people say, well, you do it. I don't care. That don't mean nothing to me. Nothing scares me. I'll fight anybody anytime. I never care. So that that's what came back to hurt me, though, because I didn't realize the effect that that 25 pounds of muscle was going to have on my body. And right. that's the one thing I would have did differently. Because if you look at it, up until that point, up until that point, Roy, it wasn't even close. The one loss you they, had was a, was a, was a disqualification on Montel Griffin. And then you came back and just carried it. They couldn't. They couldn't touch me. So I came back and demolished him. You did. One, you did. One round. Uh, what, yes. First round, second they round? I mean, it, it didn't go yeah. long. First round. We fought the last round. 
And so, I told him that for the press conference, I said, all I'm about to do is fly, we fight, we fight round nine. And that's what I did. So you, the Ruiz fight, you 193. And you're going to go back and you're going to go back down to 168. So you got to lose your 20 pounds because you look solid. I mean, your body looked like you, like you are naturally 195, 200 pound man. So you look like you, yeah. like, I'm like, damn, Roy carried that. Like he's been that. So you mm -hmm. look like a 200, you look like an old school heavyweight because they weren't like yeah. these super heavyweights that came to be the Klitschko's and the, the Lennox Lewis's and all those yeah. guys. The heavyweights in that time was 195 to 205. Ali, I think, weighed 205. Joe Lewis. Those were those guys were your size, what you fought uh, Ruiz at. So I'm saying, damn, Roy looked like an old school heavyweight. Yeah. Problem was, the first time I ever lifted weights in my whole life, and I put weight, I put muscle on from lifting. Yeah. I had never done that before in my whole life. So when I took weight off, I had to take that muscle that I lifted to put on. That was true muscle. I had to take off. And that's what did it to me. Is that why boxers really don't, because boxers don't really lift weights, do they? They shouldn't. Make it what where it makes you slow. And I mean, what, why should boxers lift? Look, goes down contraction muscles, cause a little bit more bulkiness. And right. uh, boxing needs to be able to reach. You need a long reach to be a good boxer. Most boxers want to hit on the end so that they don't have to put their face in harm's way. So you better right. do it with your arm length, use your arm range to get the most. You don't want to have to have a, like, unless you Tyson type. Tyson type, he can lift weight because everything he does is looping. He throws uppercuts, like I told you, the uppercut I'm talking about, the hook to the bottom, uppercut, all this looping punches. Yeah. So most of his best punches are thrown like this with a bonus on. So lifting weights won't hurt him. But right. That is tall. He ain't extended range. on anything. Well, like, Everything is here. Stands, exactly. He does extend. But most people that are long range guys, they need to be able to extend. And weight lifting doesn't give you that same advantage. So if you take a year off or two, or a year and a half, let's say you take 16, 18 months off to go back down to 168 an easy way, you think Tarver beat you? Hell no. Tarver, nobody else. That's 75? No. Hell no. I beat him when I had no energy. I beat him when I was really a dead man walking. I beat him. Come on, bro. I mean, imagine I beat this man. I lost 25 pounds. I ain't got energy to eat, and I beat you. And you think you gonna whoop me if I was in my regular feeling? No, come on, bro. No, but you know, it's what it is. I don't argue about it, but no, they couldn't tell you. I, I listen. The difference in me and Floyd back then, when people say about how great we were in our our prime and our eras, I didn't lose rounds. I didn't lose rounds. When I won, I won the whole fight. You no, know? I ain't probably losing rounds. I fought Montel Griffin the first time. Yeah, and that's because yeah. I chose because I knew he was a counterpuncher. I knew he was a counterpuncher, and I was a counterpuncher, so I just had to outweigh him. I had to wait and let him get tired, give him a few rounds here so he keep working the way I'm down. You know, I, I, the song I came out to, to on the first fight was Patience is the Virtue. Why? Because we're two counterpunches. We're looking in the mirror of one another. So you just got to let him wear himself down. Once he wears himself down, then you take him out. And that's what was supposed to happen. But since they disqualified me, I said, you know what? I'm going to do the way I know I can do it then. I just walked through and get it. And that's what I did the second time. But the first time, because I wasn't the guy that wanted to go do that, I was the technician. My thing was working, working, working. No, you're going to lose a few rounds because you got to make it work. So I'm going to lose a few rounds for a change. Why? Because I'm fighting another counterpuncher. Counterpunchers and counterpunchers don't make for good fights. Right. Because somebody needs to, be a, somebody needs to be the aggressor. I got to push the issue. So I had to push the issue, which is going to give him a round or two because he's going to counter what I do when I put when I be the aggressor. Right. But I'm going to wear him down, take him out there in the deep water, then I'm going to drown him. That's why he took the knee. 
which I didn't know he wasn't even taking me. What he doing? The referee didn't say stop. But that's why he took me. It wasn't because I hit him nothing hard. He was drowning from that pressure. He was in that deep water. <laughs> I knew that. You understand me? I knew that. So, but the referee didn't say nothing. So I tapped him. The referee still said, so I hit him again. Then he felt like he was out. I said, okay, well, if y'all want to play, let me show you what it looked like if I hit him for real. So second time, I showed him what it looked like if I hit him for real. Then against him, he did what he was supposed to do. But it's like, only reason, that was the only time I even know that I probably lost a round because I'm finding another counterpuncher who is a great counterpuncher. He's a great counterpuncher. Then he got two wins over James Tony. Not many people got wins over James Tony. You got James Tony. You you beat James Tony. I'm the master counterpuncher. I said he was a good counterpuncher. I said I'm the master counterpuncher. Of course I beat James. But that was different. You fought Bernard Hopkins in 1993 to win win the middleweight title. And at the time, B. Hop was 22 and 1. What do you remember about that fight? That he was too slow. So you knew he couldn't beat you? I told him, I told him, for, I told him at the press conference, I said, listen, I seen you. I know you're good. I've been watching. All the problem you're going to have is I'm too fast. That's all the problem you're going to have. So you ain't never seen nobody with the speed I got. Now, if you can keep up with the speed I got, you got a chance. But I don't think you can do it. I told him this at the press conference. Nobody heard him because I said it only to him with his two big bodyguards there. I said it to them three. I said, y'all ain't worried about y'all can't do nothing. But him, he got a problem because he can't deal with my speed. And that's what it was. <laughs> And then you fought James Tony in '94, which turned out to be the fight of the year. And James Tony was, yeah, Tony was crushing. See, people look at James Tony now, and they like they laugh at everything. But James Tony could fight. James Tony, you he used early in his career come in shape to be to to be ready to fight. Best fight I ever fought to this day, as far as boxing skills, best yeah. I ever fought. The best and Tyson was the strongest I ever fought. To this day, James Tony, the best skill to skill boxer I ever fought. And you, you beat him unanimously, twelve rounds. I mean, you just basically carried the whole fight. I mean, yep. when you go, when you look back at your career, not only were you winning fight, you were dominating some of the greatest fighters. Bernard Hopkins was is arguably the greatest middleweight, and you carried him. James Tony was was a two, uh, if I'm not mistaken, a two division champ, and you carried him. Montel Griffin, you carried. Him. Was pound, Tony was pound, pound, the baddest man on the scene at the time, inside and outside the ring. What was your strategy in fighting Tony? Just had the boxing, uh, because he fought behind the shoulder, make him keep turning, keep fighting behind that shoulder to make him have to keep turning. I know he was good if you stayed right in front of him and had a good right hand. He knocked people out in round one, he knocked you out in round 12 because he had a really good right hand. But that's if you stay right there in front of him. If you get around that shoulder, it was nothing he really could do. And that's what I did all night. So... The, the 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 shot that people remember with the James Tony is when you did the cockfighting move. You put your hands behind your back and you were squatting. No, and you was almost no, like trying to walk him into a punch. Yeah, I put him to the side like chicken hold his feathers out. I yeah. did like this and he copped it. So I did it again because I knew he copped it. Now I caught with the hook off of it. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, Roy. I mean, when people look at your fights and they talk about it, there's like what he did probably no other boxer can do because it was so unorthodox. But I studied animals like the cock, like, like the fighting roosters. I studied things that God put it in them naturally. God put it in a fighting rooster to fight naturally. So you study those things, you gotta be good because that came directly from God to those animals. Nobody developed that animals. Nobody taught those animals how to do that. They developed that, got, they got that directly from God. So what better to learn from than something that got it directly from our creator? You understand me? 
So I would watch them always because I wanted to learn different things that they did, learn te techniques, learn moves. And what had happened was I was at a point in that James Hunter fight where everything I had tried, he had neutralized. Nobody had really taken over. So it was a point in the fight where somebody now had to take over. So I said, you know what? Let me use my rooster move and see what it helped. So I did it, and he did it. I said, oh, I got it now. I did it again, and he did it, and I caught him. And that shifted the momentum to my favor, and I kept it all night. So that gave you the confidence. Once you once you caught him with that move, that gave you the confidence to, like, move in and, like, assert yourself even more. No, I had the confidence already. I just knew that that was a point where momentum, somebody had to take the momentum. Okay. I have football games have momentum swings. Yeah. At that point, somebody had to take the momentum. That gave me the momentum to continue doing what I did, but to do it on a high level now. And in 1995, you became the first boxer in CompuBox history to go around and not have a fighter land a single punch on you. Benny Pazienza, a yes. good, reputable fighter who may go down in the Hall of Fame himself one day, right? Right. Roy Jones Jr., the first fighter in CompuBox history to go a complete round without getting a punch landed on him, fighting a very well-known opponent. Y'all ask me who the best defensive fighter is again? Ha, don't even talk about it. <laughs> Did boxing at that point in time seem easy to you? Boxing was easy to me because I was in shape. I was always ready. I had no knee ailments. I hadn't, I hadn't lost that kind of weight yet. It, it was like walking around. This is what I do. And I was simply the best. That's why I did when a whole first person never go a whole round without getting hit. And they say, oh, he wasn't a good defensive fighter. Well, how the hell you go a whole three minutes without getting touched? Are you not a good defensive fighter? Well, what you are is what they call pound for pound the best because your offense is impeccable, your defense is impeccable, your speed is impeccable, your power is impeccable, your footwork, everything's impeccable. That's what makes you pound for pound the best. That's in your prime. You were fighter of the decade, and there was some, you know, not a whole lot of fighters can say they were the fighter of a decade. You, you, okay, you can be fighter of the year. You can have fight of the year. But over a 10-year span, Roy Jones Jr. in the 90s was the was voted the best fighter of the decade of the 90s. And they were right. They got it right. <laughs> <laughs> Roy, you hold on. How you gonna fight? You gotta fight at night and then you go play a pick, you go play basketball. But but buckets, that's what we do. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, what I do is every day before training or either after training, I play basketball anyway. So I'm like, you know what? Dion and Barry played football and baseball the same day. So who would ever expect a boxer to go do another sport the same day? They tell you they ain't really want you walk around much the day before you fight. They're long going to spend in Japan basketball. Are you serious? And me, because I did it on a daily basis, I said, you know what? I can do it. And I didn't do it against somebody that was just a nobody. The guy I did it against went on to capture the WBC Super Middleweight title and held it for three years after that. So it wasn't like I did that against a bomb. I did that against a, a top, a high-class world champion-type athlete. So in other words, what you're trying to tell me and what you're trying to tell my listeners, Roy, is that you made great fighters look average. That's what you're trying to tell me. The song say, and they got nerd to say, I ain't fighting nobody. I just make them look like nobody. Y'all must have forgot. <laughs> <laughs> so the 90s, you dominate. You take on all comers. You're sitting pretty. And I don't know if people realize this, Roy. 
your first 50 fights, you didn't get beat. You got DQ'd. Had you been 50 and 0, would you have stopped? I thought I went ahead with Tyler and went back down and beat Tarver that first time. I would have stopped right there. But it was in my DNA, it was in my inevitability to, I had to go fight for the heavyweight championship of the world. When God tells you to go do something, you have to go do that. So even at 59, after I fought and won a heavyweight title, I went back and recaptured light heavyweight title, then because I was undefeated, yes, I would stop stopped at that point. Because I was undefeated, I had no reason. And I could give my body two years of rest, or maybe even three years of rest, because I was undefeated. What I got to worry about? But when they disqualify you, they kill that, that urge to stay undefeated. And what hurt, what hurt me worse was that I know in that same state, Benny Pazenz hit Dana Roseblatt two times after the bear, and he even hit the referee. After the referee tried to stop the fight to get between them, he hit the referee and he hit the dude. And he didn't get And, and, and he didn't get, and he didn't get Jesse, No, Riddick Bowe hit Jesse Ferguson two times after the bear in that same state, and they turned the lights off after, but he didn't get disqualified. And you can go back and look at all this. Same thing. He didn't get disqualified. I tell the dude, when the referee just say stop, the referee don't say stop. So I tell him again. He look up there, oh, it's going to tell him, go out. He laid out like he's out, and they disqualified me. Really? I got Robert Gold Miller. Now y'all going to disqualify me too? My life just, you know, I don't know. My life just built around turmoil. I guess, you know, that's just who I am. But, you know, you have to embrace it and keep it moving. So I embrace it and I keep it moving. But like I said, you got to look at it how it goes. I mean, some people get to go fight an exhibition and they get to fight a guy way lighter than them. I want to fight an exhibition. Guess who I got to fight? <laughs> Mike Tyson. In <laughs> 99, you, 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 so, fight, you fight so Reggie. I must brought down to... Go ahead. What happened? Go ahead. What, what were you going to say go about ahead. Tyson? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 I was no, going to no, ask no, you no, about no, the 99 fight, the light heavyweight fight against Reggie Johnson, and you winning that fight and becoming the first guy since, uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Michael Spinks, to unify the light heavyweight. Yeah, that was a big fight for me, and that was a big fight because earlier back in, like, 1991, I think, he had came to my gym, my dad had started training him. And my dad wanted me to spar with him one day, so I sparred one round with him, and I beat him that one round, and I got out. My dad started fussing and cussing at me, telling me to get back up, and I said, I'm not sparring with him no more. He said, why? I said, because if he get a belt, I'm taking it. I said, I don't need him to learn how to deal with me because if he become world champion, I don't care if you with him or not, I'm getting that belt. I, my goal is to become middleweight champion of the world. If he get a middleweight title before me, I want him. So I know I'm not sparring with him no more. I sparring with him one round, I'm through with that. I see that I can whoop him. If he get the title, I'm coming to get that. Guess what happened seven years later? He got a title, <laughs> guess what happened after that? I come got there. Why you the one man to have no belt, Roy? He can have a belt, what I'm saying is, my daddy, who was training me, want to train him too. I don't know him like that. I wasn't raised up with him. See, I'm not like these new dudes. I don't have friends. My friends are the ones that were raised up in jail with me. I don't grow up and then get new friends. No, I don't know you like that. I don't know him. So you bring him to my gym and say, oh, you want me to spar with me? Which woman teach him how to beat me? No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. If you want to teach him how to beat me, you go take him on your own time and teach him how to beat me over there. Because if he get a title, I'm coming to see you and him. So... so you so you didn't. Him. I'm not gonna let you immediately not beat me. So you wouldn't want your trainer training other fighters that potentially you have to face. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> I mean that man got to make money, Roy. <laughs> I mean you gonna pay? Hold, hold up, you gonna pay for yeah, all this? Man, that man got to make money. 
And he do have my money, but it won't be against me. <laughs> Roy, hold on. So if I, if I'm selling cars, how you gonna get upset if I sell cars to somebody else? You, when you you when you got to buy up all these cars, you got to buy up all my time. I ain't training you twenty four hours a day, Roy. Let me make some money. You can make some money. But what I'm saying is, you want to make that money? Take him over there. You train him over there. Wait for me. Don't bring him. Don't think I'm gonna help you train him. Don't think I'm gonna help you sell him a car. That's not my job. <laughs> You going to sell a car to me. You going to give me our deal when you sell my car. I'm not going to help you sell them no doggone car. That ain't how that go. <laughs> I get it because that's your dad. you like, dad, hold on. You, ought to, you must be at your mind. Think I'm a smart exactly. guy. you going to trade him. Nah, nah, exactly. dad. That ain't cool. <laughs> okay. Well, I ain't said, listen, though. Listen, though. Check out. I didn't say that ain't cool. I said, you can train him. But you're not going to use me to help you train him because I got to whip him. You getting him ready. You don't know that. One day you and him might fall out. And then again, what you going to be expecting? Oh, you got to go beat him out. After you done taught him how to deal. No, no, that's not going to happen. When I see him, I'm going to see him on my own terms. So is, it, so is that how you is that how you think? Is you thinking like, okay, so if anybody that was in your gym, you really never fought anybody that was in your gym? Well, I let my hand down once I take that back. I let Luther Val come and spar me for a few times because I never thought I'd end up fighting him. He ended up going out winning a world championship and ended up fighting me. And he was the first guy to knock me down. But it was the same reason why I don't spar with guys that I'm going to fight because they'll learn how to deal with you. And so he learned from all the sparring how to deal with me. So he was able to knock me down. I got him just kept beating the hell out of him. But still, he was able to knock me down because of all the rounds he spent sparring with me. He learned how. He learned everything. It made him better. He didn't make me better. I made him better because I was better than him when we started. So I already knew that about Reggie Johnson. But Reggie Johnson ranked ahead of me already. You understand me? So I'm like, no, I'm not going to teach him how to deal with me. And he already ranked ahead of me. No. The John Ruiz fight. What made you so convinced that you could move up from a light heavyweight to a heavyweight and win a title? Well, when God sent me on a mission, I got to go on that mission. I don't care what it is. So when I had a, to me, it was like, a, I had a premonition that I should go fight for the heavyweight championship of the world. I felt like that was God talking to me. So I immediately got up the next day, called, set me with, uh, Evan Holyfield and his lawyer, Jim Thomas. I flew to Atlanta and asked him to fight me. Holyfield said, no, I got too much to gain, too much to lose and not enough to gain to fight you, so I'm not going to do it. I said, if you feel like that, all right. I left and flew back to my training camp. Well, lo and behold, his next fight, he lost to John Reese. To this day, I don't know how John Reese knew that I wanted to fight for the world title, but after he won, he said, hey, and guess what? I'll fight Roy John Jr. You'll do what? You'll fight me? <laughs> Oh, let's go. <laughs> so, so it basically you wanted to fight Holyfield. Holyfield lose to John Ruiz. John Ruiz called you out. You had no, so in other words, you wanted to fight Holyfield. You didn't want to fight John Ruiz until he called you out. Now I wanted to fight the heavyweight champ. I ain't care who it was. At the time when I had when I thought about making it happen, Holyfield had the title. So I went to ask him. He said no. But John Ruiz beat him and he took the title. Then he said, oh, yeah, I'll fight Roy Jones Jr. I said, yes. Hold on. So why were you so convinced that you could beat, you could beat a heavyweight champion? Once again, in my prime, before losing that weight, I was convinced I could beat anybody put on the planet. Like you just asked about, did I think I could have beat Mike in my prime? What? If they put him in front of me, they was going down. I don't know how, but it was going down. I had, the way I thought of boxing was I had enough to take any car on the lot apart. I ain't care what kind of car, how big, what size engine. If you put it in my shop, I'm going to take it apart. And that ring was my shop. 
So in all the divisions that you fought in, what would you say was the toughest division that you fought in? Um, it's hard to say because um, middleweight, it wasn't really a lot of opponents there. Super middleweight, it was a few, but not part of light heavyweight was a tough division for me because I had more opponents, more named opponents in the light heavyweight division. Mike McCallum, Lou Delphi, Reggie John, and I became undisputed champ in the light heavyweight division. But the thing about me was, was that when I became champ as light heavyweight, you know, I was trying to find every possible title in that weight division that I could get, I got. Only one I didn't get was the WBO because Darius Mikulczewski was German and he, well, he ain't German, I think he's but he lived in Germany and he wouldn't come from Germany to fight me. If you offered him five million to come over here and fight me for my title, I had seven belts. He had one and he wouldn't do it. They told me they want me to come to Germany. Now I got robbed in Olympics in Seoul, Korea in 1988. Why, if I'm the man who beat James Turner to who was the man at the time, to become the man, now I got seven belts in one division. Hey, one more out there, you got in Germany, I'm gonna take my seven belts and go back overseas, knowing what happened to me in Seoul career already, and give you an opportunity to last 12 rounds with me, they will give you all seven of my belts, and your one, now you keep that one, I'm gonna stay over here. Anytime you get ready to bring that one over here, on top of these seven, you ready to come, you welcome to come on. But I'm not bringing my seven, and you know I'm old school, I ain't finna bring my seven over there to you and you ain't got but one. <laughs> so if I put, a, if I put, I'm gonna have a, 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 a boxing jamboree and I'm gonna take Roy Jones Jr. I'm gonna take Marvin Hagler. I'm gonna take Tommy Hearns. I'm gonna take Bernard Hopkins. I'm gonna take Jermaine Taylor. I'm gonna take Kelly Pavlik. I'm gonna take uh, 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 Roberto Duran and Julio Cesar Chavez. And I'm gonna say, okay, who gonna have the belts? One belt. Roy. Roy, that's Roy a godly. Roy, that's a godly, Roy. That's a godly, that's hey, a godly. Hey, hey, he probably gonna have to fight Marvin to get them all, but he gonna have, but he gonna have them all. So you believe? Rest of them too slow. Why, why doesn't Marvin Hagler get more credit? Because I, uh, uh, um, because Marvin was going because I had this conversation with uh, with, with, with uh, uh, Mayweather also. Chavez and Durant both were a little too small for me. Marvin was the only one that was close to my size, but also Marvin had an impeccable chin and Marvin stayed the same every day, every minute, every round, every he always was the same, dependable reliable Marvin, all the way down to his outfit. He gonna wear the same burgundy white outfit every single time. He was always the same Marvin every night. That's why he was a problem. I, you know what I can't, I can't understand why Jermaine Taylor didn't dominate that division longer than he did after what I saw him do to, to, to Bernard Hopkins and to have Kelly Pavlik basically out on his feet and then could never beat him. How, that, how, does, how does that work, Roy? A lot of that stuff, not only does it happen outside the gym and outside the ring, a lot of that has to do with his everyday life. If your everyday life is not 100% devoted to boxing, you can have all the talent in the world, you will not accomplish the thing or you will not reach the level that you should reach with your ability because ability alone won't get you there.
because you because you you think Jermaine Taylor could have been an all time great too, don't you? Of course, he could have. He stayed focused on just boxing. You know what? I, I want. I mean, your very first time getting knocked out. What goes through your mind? Tell me. Tell me when when Tarver took uh, took the title. What was going through your mind? Just you'd be pissed off because you felt like you let people down. You'd be more pissed off of letting people down more so than yourself. You know what I mean? So it's like you'd be really pissed off and upset because you feel like you let people down. You know, it's like it's not that's not characteristic of you. And like I said, I know without a weight loss, that never would have happened to me, but you just feel like it's very uncharacteristic. But for me at the same time, what I chalked it up as is that when you make big sacrifices to do big things then you got to have repercussions. You went from junior middleweight all the way up and won a heavyweight title. Then you took that 25 pounds of muscle and just snatched it right off and came back and recaptured the light heavyweight title. Then you're going to keep going? No, son, you got to stop at some point. You can't keep going. You got to let your body regroup. And you didn't do that. And it's like, you don't see it till later. And you see it, but you don't want to believe it because you used to be a Superman. But even Superman got to stop at some point. Kryptonite makes Superman weak. That 25 pounds could have been Kryptonite. And then Tarver came back for Hawkins after he gained that weight for that movie. And then he lost weight and came back for Hawkins. And he got beat pretty. He didn't get knocked out because knocked out because Hawkins is not a real knockout puncher. But he lost almost every round. And he understood then what that weight also does to you. But it was worse for me because I had real live weightlifting muscle on me. You understand me? So it's different. But being knocked out make you want to give up and make you feel bad. But for me, I can never give up because that's not who I am. So you, just because I was knocked out didn't mean I wasn't coming back. That meant I had to come back. Do you remember? Do you remember the punch that he caught you with? And do you know the mistake that oh, yeah. he made? Of course, I remember. I know everything about it. Over and backwards. You regroup. You take some time off. I hear. I believe it to be true that once you get knocked out, you're more susceptible to being knocked out again. Is that true? Without a question. Without a question, and that's what happened again. And again, because once you get it, your body know what it is, so it's a little easy to make it happen now. Before, before you won't believe it, it happened to you. But once it happened to you, now it's not impossible for it to happen. So your mind plays tricks with you because now your mind knows, guess what, it can happen. So it's a little easier for it, happen, for it to happen again. And if you think about it, a perfect example is Tom Hearns is one of the hardest punching dudes you would ever meet. But Sugar Ray, because he never got knocked out completely, took Tommy Punch. Now, Tommy knocked him down, but he never knocked him out. Tom right. Hearns knocked out Roberto Duran. Cold. Don't nobody knock Roberto Duran out. Tommy knocked him cold. Ice cold. Yeah. He hit Ray Leonard with the same right hand over and over and over again. But because Ray didn't believe he can go from it, Ray didn't go. So it's not about belief, you feel me? But with the 25 pounds of muscle, my body failed. You understand me? So it's like, and lost. With the 25 pounds of muscle loss, your body failed you. So now it's going be easy because now you know your mind, hey, that can't happen because my body failed me once. Until your body failed you, you don't believe it. And like I said, it's like Sherry Leonard. He took Tommy right hand better than anybody because he didn't believe when it's up heaven. But he didn't believe time to knock him out. So after the Tarver fight, the second fight, do you believe you should have stopped then? 
and says, you know what, this wrap. I've done everything. I've gotten belts. I had seven belts at one time. I went from junior middleweight all the way up to, to heavyweight, and I cleaned out every division. I'm good. Did you think about it and say, you know what, I'm good. I'm done. I did, but after being knocked out, you just can't. It's like riding a motorcycle. You get knocked out of that motorcycle, you got to get back up and get back on it, or you'll never ride a motorcycle again. And I don't like sitting around being afraid of nothing. So I had to go back. But that's okay, though, Roy. You know that's what they got cars for. You, you ain't got to get back on the motorcycle. Got a car. You got a car. That. Yeah, but I had to get back on them because that's what I do. It's some known for. I ain't going to be afraid to go back to where I made my name at. No way. So are you done competitively fighting? Yeah, I'm done competitively fighting now. Yes. So now you're just going to sit back and be a country boy, raise your chickens. And that's it. Laugh at these guys that they ask for me and keep it moving. <laughs> Have you thought about have you thought about train have you thought about becoming a trainer? I, I already am a trainer, full time. Well, okay, so you know, you in the, you in the same boat like Buddy McGirt. I mean, some of the best, some of the, the, the great boxers became trainers. But what I don't know if anybody yeah. has ever been as great as you become a trainer. Why is it so hard for boxers? Because great players, it's hard for them to become great coaches. Normally it's the it's the fringe because players. Yeah, why is it so hard? Sometimes it's hard for sometimes it's hard for people that are great to understand where their greatness came from or how they got great or what made them great. And it's like some people are so high on a level that they can't accept anything less than great. So they can't teach it because everybody can't be great. You know right. With other people are great and don't really even understand what made them great. So they can't teach it because they don't understand. It. It's just what destined to be great. Right. So it's those two things that usually what one or the other that usually stop people from being great trainers. Either you can't explain what you did, or it's so high in your mind that you only expect that, and everybody can't do that. And that's why people try to say, oh, Roy, everybody can't fight like you, but I don't try to make people fight like me. I learned a lot of stuff. I know I got a real, real thick encyclopedia here on boxing right there in my brain. It's really a lot between these two ears, and people don't understand that. I had a doctor once tell me, Roy, he said, those that can do, those that can't teach. And basically what he was saying, the ones that can really do it, they do it and they do it at a high level. Those that can't do it at that level, they become teachers. They become the trainers. They become the coaches. They become the managers. And it says, it's so, and, and I was talking to Magic Johnson, Magic said, it's hard for great players to become coaches is because you want them to do things that became so easy to you. And you're like, man, just do that. But everybody ain't Magic right. Johnson. And so exactly. what you're telling me is that you don't expect anybody else to be Roy Jones Jr. I'm trying to get you to become the best fighter you yeah. can become. And whatever that is, that is. Don't worry about being Roy Jones Jr. Not at all. Not at all. Don't even think about that. Your rap career. You argue, uh, you know, it's hard to say that you're not the greatest, <laughs> the greatest uh, boxing rapper all time. Where would you, where would you, where would you put your rap skills? I mean, you had some pretty, you had some beats. I think I'm the best athlete rapper of all time. Hold on, the best all time? You got bars? Hold on. What about Dame Lillard? Oh, Dame no, Dollar? Too, but he, ain't, he before me, he ain't sold the records that I sold yet. Dame is good. Dame is really good, but he ain't sold the records I sold yet. So it's like, it's one thing to be good. It's another thing to be able to make songs that people hear and want to hear again. Shaq. A lot of people can rap. I know some guys right now. I know some guy I got right now can rap all day long. 
but can they make songs that you want to hear over and over and over again? I got my song can't be touched. It's still oh, that, 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 right Hey, when I want to get hype in the jail, Roy. I when I want to get hype, I you know can't I just touched. I woo. So wait about the move. If I when you 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 cut that out in the jail right now, yeah. Roy. So wait about to get moved now. Yeah, yeah. That's why I say I think I was one of the best because I had a song that was able to outlive its time. That song still hot in any kind of workout or a pre-fight or pre-game. Right now, today, you can put it on, people ready to go again. Must have forgot. Y'all must what? have forgot. People still say that. What What about your acting career? You want to you want to you want to get more involved in that, or you good? No, I'm good with the acting. I did enough of it. Uh, they have changed the rules and stuff so much now that I think it's better. I stay out the way of it, but uh, I did enjoy it when I did it. Roy, I appreciate it, bro. Congratulations on your career. I followed your career. Uh, talk to Brooks. I talk to Brooks all the time, and he always talked. To, you know, talked about you. Talked to Emmett. Emmett and yeah. I, good friends. We came in the, the league together. So, congratulations yeah. on your career. Well deserved, bro. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy this time off. Thank you, and I also watched your career, and I enjoyed your career as well. So, thank you, my brother. God bless you. Stay strong. Keep doing what you're doing. Love what you're doing too. Now, thank you, bro. Appreciate it, bro. Have a good one. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look, all my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. All my life, I've been grinding all my life. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.